If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Andy Burt. Welcome along to episode 35 of the Early Excellence Podcast. Um, This week, we're joined on the podcast by Esther O'Connor. Now, Esther is the earliest team leader at the British School of Brussels. Um, I first met Esther early on in my time at Early Excellence when I was invited to deliver training out at the school in Brussels. Um, Esther, at that point, had recently joined the school, having previously worked as an EYFS phase leader in the UK. Now, in this episode, Esther opens the doors to the inspirational unit at the British School of Brussels and gives us a full tour of the wonderfully creative, child-centred environments. So here you go. I think you're going to find this really interesting and really inspiring too. Um, We'll add photos of the fantastic provision to the podcast information so that you can see all of the different things that Esther is talking about and all of the things that Esther introduces as part of the tour. going to do, Esther is going to give us a tour around um, the learning environments that you've got set up there. And um, just before we do, Esther, could you give us a little bit of an idea? Just set the context for us. Tell us a little bit about where it is that you work. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, so I'm really privileged to be the earliest lead, the team leader here at the British School of Brussels. And we start from the age of one and our earliest is all the way up to um, age five. So our one to threes is what we call our early childhood centre. And our three to fours is kindergarten, which would be maybe in England as a nursery setting. And then the four to five is reception. So it's it's fantastic from a transition point of view because we can ensure that the child's learning journey is is seamless between ourselves. It's it's quite a a privilege to have children go through our early early years from the age of one up until reception. Fantastic, fantastic, and you you operate in a fairly flexible way. Am I right in thinking that that you, yeah. in terms of the space you've got, you've got quite a large amount of space, but there's a sort of a flexibility in terms of how you use it for those different age ranges. Is that right? As you know, Andy, having visited five years ago, which has zoomed by five years, it is. Can you believe it? Gosh. Um, And I must put in there that Andy and Early Excellence were a real catalyst in enabling our thinking uh, to develop our idea of what continuous provision means and how that works and the principles behind that. So our journey from from the first year where Andy started his support with us was very much we were looking at how to enable our spaces, our very large spaces, to become zones and areas that really provoke lots of thinking. So our philosophy very much is where, where a child can select on their own, being very independent, uh, where resources are, are very purposeful and have clear intentions. So we're extremely lucky that we have large, large spaces. And I will be giving a tour very soon um, of our kindergarten which is our our nursery space it has we've been through this journey we've been thinking about for example in our reception we used to have very separate three 
physical classrooms and we did something brave and we knocked down walls and we went for it and we, it's now a unit so reception is a unit the early childhood center is a unit and so is uh, the, the kindergarten so this means that the the individual learner the child can go and access large areas but I'll go on to how these are set up later on maybe yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, thinking back to actually, see, I hadn't even realised it was five years ago that I came to you. What, what always sticks in my mind is that um, almost as soon as the training finished, I went off to train to do some training with your Key Stage 1 staff. And then in the afternoon, I think I finished the Key Stage 1 training and came back through the early years department. And I just remember all of your team were straight away getting really in the zone and were... We're having a really good clear out, a really good sort out, ready for developing these environments that we'd talked about. It was it was almost like it was like a, a like a switch had been flicked, and they were yes. right on it. You know, straight away, straight into thinking. Right, I've seen what we can do. I've thought about the possibilities. Let's absolutely go for it. And as a team, you literally moved as one, which was you know just okay. absolutely fantastic. Which is, yeah. I think, all credit to you as a team. There was that that really shared idea of completely shared idea that this is what we're doing and we are all on board with it which is so important isn't it it, it absolutely it was a real moment like you say of hold on a minute this this huge space and these amazing spaces that we have physical spaces they should be more child-centered and it was that refocus of what message do, does this area give or what what messages are we giving is it more for the adults to store their things or could we use this cupboard and rip open the cupboard doors and create shelving for self-access so I think it really uh, that that moment was a real movement for us in, in the sense of what's our pedagogical approach what should that look like and how what message do we give as we we walk into this room if I imagine myself as a three-year-old a four-year-old how will I access that or you know is there a stumbling block where the adult has to get it out the cupboard and you know and also actually uh during that time we thought about the type of resources that we have the validity behind them and our intention behind those and that's where the lamination city was starting to get binned. <laughs> we had a huge amount of laminated all sorts. So that open-ended resourcing and uh, validity and choice and less is more in certain circumstances. For example, with our water resources, we had probably a huge amount of a certain capacity size. So we were reducing down, but thinking carefully about the possibilities of those types of resources. Fantastic. Super. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's great actually to sort of revisit you and to kind of see where you're at with this journey because you've come such a long way since those days. And you, you're going to give us a tour around, aren't you? Which I know, Absolutely. I know sounds a bit odd, you know, when you think about it as a podcast that actually people probably you know, won't be able to see it as such. But what we're going to aim to do is we're going to describe it as we go around so that you get the idea. People who are listening at home will be able to hopefully visualise the different spaces and get an idea of how you develop them. But also following on from um, recording the podcast, what we're going to do is you're going to send over photographs and we're going to make sure that we share photographs with people um, so that there'll be a link in the podcast information so people can have a look at the photographs as well alongside listening to it. Okay, Absolutely. right. Yeah, no Fantastic. So, whereabouts are we starting then, Esther? Where are we going to start? 
Uh, we're going to start in our what we call the creative room. So this is kindergarten. We have, just to give a quick outline, we have three large rooms and we class our large learning spaces. We class our outdoor learning space as, as a learning environment. So the first one that we have here is our, uh, creative, our creative room. And in the creative room, uh, you will see that there is a large... Uh, design technology space and what we've what we really reflected on was how can we ensure that we we maybe display our our resources how how can a three-year-old come and get the, what they can see is it visible is it set out clearly um, you know is it organized in a way that they they can just go in and use it themselves. So actually, as I look here, we have various things from staplers to different uh, maybe sized sellotapes, um, lots of different tools for them to join materials. So, you know, from crocodile clips to paper clips to, as I say, uh, staplers and hole punch and, and different things like that. And what's fantastic this end of the year is actually, as I look on the table now, we have so many projects and what we learned was how to link our DT space to our creative space. So the paint and the uh, other bits to enhance their projects is really, it's, uh, to be honest, I call it now our creative studio. So we've learned that putting the DT stuff with the junk and the joining materials and our paint and maybe expressive arts materials they're so linked together. I have a lovely example here, actually, and uh, we've just had our assembly today, actually, Andy, and we did it in the way of, in kindergarten, we are experts, and the children actually chose their photo evidence to be displayed during the assembly, and this one, one little girl, uh, uh, she chose, well, I'm an artist, and, you know, a designer, and she really is, and there isn't a day that she now comes to kindergarten without bringing a box that she started at home and her parents like I think she's saying that this is a I don't know where a boat or, or whatever she's designed so she brought in the box and what's what's wonderful as her teacher and practitioner to see is that she is going straight to that area so she walks in puts her coat away and she's straight there in the um, creative area design area and painting away, cutting out, sellotaping on, and she doesn't need anything from me. So we've realised that that you know those crucial moments in September of training and how to modelling how to use those tools really pays off. And now that wonderful expressive arts skills that we see in our curriculum is being fulfilled of, of you know joining, designing, uh, and creating some fabulous designs. Um, and actually, another really interesting uh, uh, sort of fascination that the children have shown us, which I will have to quickly show you, is uh, tunnelling, which I haven't come across this actually in 14 years of teaching. Yes. Isn't that fantastic? And um, this child, I, I watched uh, another girl actually, this child, and she, she was measuring different sized border paper. So we, we just enhanced it with just different strips rather than getting rid of them once you do a display. And it's fascinating. This child had cut up, measured her wrist and stuck them almost symmetrically onto the paper. And then drew ladders and said, these are the ladders and they protect you. The tunnels protect you as you go up. So it sounded a bit like a story to me as she was describing it. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like creating a small world, isn't it? So, so what you can see, so for, for people who are at home and listening, um, we'll send you photographs of this, but basically what you can see are sheets of paper of different colours, different sizes, and what the children have done is they've cut into loops lots of smaller pieces of paper and then joined them at, at each side to make a kind of like a bridge or a tunnel over the, the or certainly a bridge over the, over the piece of paper. So that you've got lots of loops going on. Yeah, and you know, you know, the fascinating thing about our, you know, early years world is how the children link learning, and they almost contaminate each other with their ideas. So what what we notice, because you know, we we like to sort of celebrate. Wow, look at this! You know, this child's an artist. I wonder how how this happened and how you joined all these pieces and what these bits are. As you know, the children tune in and they listen. And before we know it, we've got tunnel projects in the building area. And so my earliest practitioner, she's on it. She's like, right, let's go go to the library. And they're finding tunnel books, non-fiction books, and printing off, you know, some maybe provocations such as tunnel images of real images. So it's almost this open-ended way of having the continuous provision like this and enhancing it uh, just provides a wonderful opportunity to you know, fulfill many, many skills that are based on a, a fascination or interest that can come up spontaneously. I could never plan for that. I think there are a couple of things, though, that stand out from what you were saying. I think the first thing is that that stage that you mentioned about where you ha are, as a team, putting in the groundwork um, in terms of modelling and supporting and building those relationships with the children from an early point in the year or an early point with those children when they've just started. Meaning, knowing that actually at that point, that will come to fruition at some point. That time that you are putting in, that's an investment that actually later on in the year or maybe maybe another year's time, that that child actually will, will have benefited from all of that input and they will become more independent, more confident, more secure. And that leads to children exploring in a deeper, in a deeper way over time and having that progression. And yet, actually, I, th I think in terms of practice, that's something that we don't value enough. You know, that time that we spend with the children early on is often something that we rush through in practice. Well, we feel under pressure to rush through, to get to the what we see as the kind of the teaching as such, when actually I think time spent early on in the year is never wasted. Time, time really modelling and supporting means that your areas of provision are then used really effectively. Absolutely. I would also add that there, Andy, one of the key things that we find really helps us in this way is that observation and how when we look carefully, we listen to how the children are using the spaces and actually maybe some barriers too. So what we ended up doing, actually, we had two tables joined together and we realised that there was we weren't maximising maybe the space that we have in this zone. And we decided actually, if we were to separate the tables, they started to work almost opposite each other and the language came stronger and the, there were more children that could access the space because it was a very popular zone. So um, that, yeah, that powerful thing of just moving simply two tables apart 
and just changing the way that they were enabled children maybe to talk a little bit more about what they were doing, organise themselves. So I, I, I think observation has big parts to play um, as well in terms of reflection. It's, it's helped us to sort of think, you know, this cohort are a different group to last year. So that, that sort of regular reflection um, uh, enables us, I, I think, to cater for these, uh, this, these children this year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. And then the other thing I think was the, the depth of provision that you've got there that, you know, from the, the joining materials to the different sorts of paper and card and junk modeling materials and all kinds of different tools and all, all of those sorts of things mean that when you have modeled for the children what you can do, what the possibilities are with these resources, they absolutely then run with it. And that it's yes. a combination of the role of the adult and the role of the materials and resources and the breadth of what you're offering there that, that comes together, really. That's it. And the value, taking the time to value it. So, we, you know, the role of the adult, I find if, if you know, on my planning, if I think, right, I've got to do all of this now, you know, this adult focus, which, of course, is that balance, as we know, with yeah. our curriculum yeah. pyramid. Um, but spotting those teachable moments, so it's those powerful moments that to value that, and I find that gives a message to the child that oh, you know how I'm using these resources and the tools and what I produce is really valued, and they're so eager to share it with you uh, rather than you go over there get busy while I you know make sure I get through all this this activity that I've you know preciously planned. I found that having a very flexible approach to my role uh, as as the teacher in kindergarten has really enabled positive messages about what we value and also how to move those children on. Shall I take you yeah. to the next part now, Andy? Shall I show you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I must say we have got one thing that does bug me a little bit. We've got high shelving. So with the paints on. So we had to tell the children from day one, you're allowed to stand on the chair and you can get the paints whenever you need. <laughs> so because we couldn't find another bit of the wall to just change it. So that's that's also something. And you know, in terms of actually display documentation, I you know we, we use a lot of our window space to sort of have for, uh, sort of photo evidence of the child in the moment um, with designs or like DT. We have a few, if they let us, you know, some, often yeah. they want to take things home. Um, but on the wall here, uh, lots of their projects. So they, they have almost little mini exhibitions everywhere, which is quite a fun thing as well, um, again, in terms of valuing. Uh, one, one thing I would say we've also spotted recently that's informed our, our planning is, don't know whether you can see up there, we've got some images of, they're just fascinated by lines at the moment. Yeah, um, and it's brought a lot of mathematical thinking through our, and, and this was actually done in the other room, we have a large early excellence easel, and um, we ended up then digging out all sorts of things from shells with different pattern lines, and building upon that line provocation, which which brought a lot of mathematical thinking as well, actually, with repeating patterns. So, Andy, I'll take you through now to our small world area. So in the creative room, we have a um, small book, sort of cosy book corner with um, some small world resources, uh, lots of language and role play with special certain texts that we, that we would put out. And what we observed was that the children really wanted to extend their transient art uh, through small world storytelling. So we just 
set up a few empty trays, um, and here are some projects actually just from today of some fantastic storytelling of a three-year-old. So, yeah, so lots of different materials um, and carefully selecting whether it's little gems or we've got these special stones. And then what I found fascinating, the girl said, Oh, that it, she's going, the fairies are going to see a rainbow. So having the mark-making resources, which are directly here, right next to this open-ended sort of space, she drew her own rainbow to go on her project, you know. So, so that linked sort of learning there with the, the writing and the, the language. I love that use of the trays. You know, that idea of, of, of saying to the children, we've got a selection of different trays here. So they're, they're kind of like a, um, they're a selection of, of, of smaller trays, aren't they? So they're not like a big, like tough spot tray or anything like that, yeah. much, much smaller. Do you know where they're from? Go they're on. from the canteen. <laughs> <Are> they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. um, so you've got, so a selection of different trays, but then saying to the children, well, this is your space. You can, you can bring story materials to it. You can create your own story setting here. I think that's yeah. such an interesting idea, you know, of, of yes. children creating their own small space, their own small story setting, I think is a lovely yeah. idea. And um, yeah, it's the loose parts as well is something that I am such a fan of. After reading the How Not to Cheat uh, Children, uh, I think Simon Nicholson, the, uh, the architect, and we, we decided actually, Andy, so we have a very large, we're very lucky, we've got a large section with almost like a bench to it. And we were thinking, what should we do? It, it looks a bit like it should be a book corner, but then we thought, oh, loose parts, perfect. We can display. So then we have different baskets with frames, as you can see. So many, many different frames, but with particular intentions. So from rectangular shapes to circular to smaller, different sizes deliberately, um, with various loose parts. Uh, from cogs to wooden circles to tiles, shells, all sorts of different coloured gems, um, even Cuisinaire rods that year four wants to get rid of, so I'll have those, um, <laughs> to natural objects. Um, and actually, really interestingly, uh, a little boy brought in a book about dinosaurs and he was so excited. And he went straight to the loose parts area with his book and he... I came up and asked, what's this all about? Oh, it's a dinosaur and it's, it's got precious eggs. And he created a beautiful little home for, yeah, for the dinosaurs to hide the eggs, the delicate eggs. And again, going, he went straight to the mark making area and got the paper and the tools and, and designed his uh, loose parts uh, sort of representation on paper as well, which, which was interesting. What I like, though, is the way that you've talked about how those different spaces belong together and how actually the, the writing links to the small world and the block play and the transient art in that flexibility and that opportunity for children to express story ideas and then go and use the mark making materials and add it to their story setting, you know, like the rainbow that you mentioned earlier on or with the dinosaur idea, that that doesn't happen by accident. That's because actually you planned it so that your writing and mark making is near to that space so children, and then it's been modeled so that children know they can link those materials and resources together. And that's, that's 
that level of detail, I think, is so important, isn't it? You know, that thinking about that, what goes into the classroom and what links with what is, is crucial, really. That's it. And I think, you know, as we know, writing is something that later on, sadly, you know, boys often are disengaged with writing, or there, there is the thing of, boy, you know, targeting boys' writing. And I, I strongly believe that from a young age, what message do we give about mark-making and how we represent our thinking? And if, if they use their designs as a way of communicating, that's becoming a writer. Uh, from a young age. So actually just behind me, Andy, as I'm showing you, we've got our small, almost like our steam uh, work here, so small construction kits um, from large connections to the Mogolow that set out very much where there are photo clues as to how to tidy up and also categorised into different sections. And actually, here are some projects just from today. So whiteboards, I'm such a fan of because they can rub it out, you know, if, if there's a, a mistake. Uh, so for example, here, um, it is a machine and it can clean everything and go really fast. And it goes faster than every single car. So that's the adult describing the design they, that they've created. Um, and they love to exhibit their work. So here we have... The, the unit here that's used where they can just put their projects on, yeah. find their name card, you know, at the stage, and also create their designs. I have to show you this one, this is fantastic. This is a trap, I don't know, there we go. Um, and I'll try and zoom in. So, With a label as well, so displaying their own work. Um, yeah, yeah, lovely idea. It's a trap where there's a door and baddies can go inside and they get trapped forever. Uh, so just with the loose parts, actually, Andy, the one thing that I also find that's absolutely powerful is mathematical thinking with loose parts. Yes. Um, and recently, Helen Williams has just published a fan fabulous book, Playful Mathematics. Have you heard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Our, our claim to fame is that we were collaborating with Helen and we had a real privilege to trial some of the activities that Helen was using in her book. Uh, so, uh, and I just find that the reasoning section, and Helen writes about this in her book, how providing children with opportunities to talk about what they can see and, and how do they know, and that reasoning is very powerful for a young mathematician. And I find when I watch sometimes what they do with the, the loose parts, it tells me so much, whether it's their understanding about size or repeating patterns um, or the way they arrange groupings uh, is, is really fascinating to take a step back and listen and watch and also question to provoke that reasoning. Absolutely. I think it also helps children to see mathematics as something that is very much all around us, not just one time of the day, which is a directed teaching time around maths. And that's when maths happens. But actually, maths is is in all of the different spaces that, you, that you've been showing us, you know, all of the creative spaces and everywhere else, but also very much in transient art, you know, those kind of those loose, that loose parts kind of play. You know, there, there are often, I often say to people that there's often more mathematical potential in a collection of loose parts materials than there are in most maths areas. That when you yeah. think about, you know, the compare bears and counting camels and all of those kind of, you know, random things that kind of link together, they're only ever, they only ever come in like three or four colours. 
and three yeah. three sizes maybe when really you're you know the loose parts there's a range of different sizes and scales and and textures and colors and patterns and all kinds of different things that you can use to create as well as count and for me that's always going to be far more rich as a mathematical resource um certainly Absolutely. i think maths areas with natural materials in are often far better for it Yes, like you say, maths is everywhere. And I, I actually also find I'm just stepping into the Play-Doh area, just next to the small world, actually, as we talk, that, like you say, maths is everywhere. And deliberately, we've got, because they love making cakes in Play-Doh spaces, uh, we had candles, and we have lots of different candles with the number symbol on. Um, and we find also what really provokes mathematical thinking is thinking carefully about arrays and what you, you try. So, you know, the usual, everybody knows in the school, they give me their chocolates. Belgium has loads of chocolates, so they give me their chocolate cases. <laughs> so I get loads of chocolate cases and I go, right, what's the array on it? Oh, yeah, I haven't got a three or, you know, a row of three. Um, so deliberate selections of uh, maybe, I don't know, the chocolate cases can provoke some mathematical thinking with Play-Doh, we find, um, as well. And it, it gives quite a rich opportunity to talk about how many they can see without it feeling forced, you know, but role-playing with them in terms of where they take the direction um, and not losing sight of the malleable focus here, you know, the, the physical development as well. Um, for those people at home who obviously can't see it, we're talking about the kind of the plastic, moulded plastic bits that you get when you buy um, a box of chocolates, that the chocolates sit inside that often are in a particular pattern or particular array, aren't they? So set out maybe three by four or, or whatever it might be. And it's that sort of thing. Um, and the, of course, also within a dough area, things like, you know, bun cases or baking trays that have indentations set out in a particular way great for that as well you know those sorts of ideas yeah definitely but isn't it interesting Mathema a mathematically rich dough area is interesting you don't often i don't think people often think about mathematics within the dough area and yet actually there are loads of possibilities aren't there really i had a wonderful example of a little boy that was rolling almost a, like a snake, I thought it was just a snake. He coiled it up and he cut it in half to look, I can make a rainbow. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. He used the word half. He said, I cut it in half. So the language of half and recognising as a whole, then a half. And he'd made four rainbows and he got another one. I said, oh, I can't remember how to make it. He was rolling it again. He said, now there will be six. And that told me so much about his mathematical understanding, his you know, mental addition there of adding the two more. Um, so yeah, and that was through a really spontaneous play, you know, within the, the malleable space. I've got to show you this before it falls actually, Andy. So this is our light area now with the projector. Um, and we, we realised that the children, although they absolutely love, they have a, a range of different things to experiment, different things that will cast from, um, you know, all sorts of different things, from mirrors to actually plastic things that you can find uh, in our Haribo's ice creams with numbers on. Because we realised when you put it on the projector, it's, it shows the image of the number itself. So. Very different. Yeah. We have to describe the let's just describe the space. Oh, so sorry. it's yeah. it's one it's kind of a is it a corner within the room? Um 
it's it's almost like a yeah large white wall with yeah. quite a decent width to it. So yes, a corner. Space. Yeah, within yeah. a corner, and then you've you've kind of have you papered it? So you've put white paper up. Yeah, we did. Initially, we put a fabric. It wasn't as effective, so it's just white card, um, and the image really does show really large uh, sort of image there. So I've got some photos yeah. actually on the wall of what the children have been. Fantastic. Doing. And then you've got an overhead projector within the space. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a proper old school overhead. Is it, is it a proper old school yeah. overhead projector? That's a, from the secondary department here. So it's fab <laughs> from the science. science yeah, it's, it's been brilliant, a really useful resource, actually, for from shadow play with deliberately non-fiction books, maybe about shadows, and they... Um, observe the different patterns to what we recognized was they wanted to build here with the very you know the very different perspex uh, colored see-through hollow blocks uh with, with the perspective and that's that's been fantastic actually for just exploring experimenting light and color uh, shape, form, um, and I would also say what they really enjoy doing is experimenting with colour mixing here with the Perspex tools. Um, so, yeah, and one lovely observation that we made, and we quickly got some scarves and all sorts, we had a bit of music in here in our creative studio. So actually, the creative studio is just behind, there's like a section of wall, and then it's just behind, so it's very linked still. And this little girl was creating her own dance in front of the projector. So we quickly got the scarves out and it really lent itself to a lovely moment of dance and listening to music and the rhythm of expressive arts and design. And of course, the next day we were thinking about different music that we could put out and it was a wonderful moment uh, to observe her connection to listening to music and also shadow play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it reminds me of, I don't know whether you've ever seen it, there's an, an EYFS clip from a long time ago now, probably early 2000s, that's called Erin the Dancer. I think it's called, I'm Ooh. pretty sure it's called Erin the Dancer. It was filmed at Oakwood, Oakwood Primary School. Um, Oakwood Primary Academy and um, it, it has a similar kind of idea where they've got a stage and also light projection and music and this little girl Erin you know really absolutely absorbed in in moving to the music as well as having that kind of that light show going on around her and she, yeah really interesting yeah yeah well worth looking at. Oakwood are a very inspirational practice. I love following them. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're now entering. I think I've shown you most of that. We have a light box as well here with some mathematical open-ended resources that links very, it's very close to the loose parts space. So open-ended resources that can offer many possibilities. So here I'm walking into the explorer's room, we call it. And actually just in front have a table where the parents and the children can bring in different texts or books. Okay, so as we walk in, yeah, we have the mark-making area. So it doesn't mean that writing happens just here, as you've seen, lots of examples. Uh, we have to be a bit careful with the space because it's so popular. So they love it, they absolutely love it. Um, but we were observing and they that we actually had to take away some of the staplers and the other bits because it was becoming another DT zone. 
Um, So uh, we just put a load of teacher pens, post-it notes, border paper we find works really well, Uh, stickers. And we recently went to, we have a wonderful farm and we actually go to the farm to help and work at the farm as opposed to a visit, uh, a trip. It was a great outing and the children were mixing hay and all sorts of things. So we printed off some images of them working and enjoying themselves. And we just plonked them in the writing, you know, in the mark making area here. And that was also quite a powerful way um, to just, yeah, they loved that, finding themselves and quite a meaningful way. But what I love about the space, there's no sort of set you need to come and do. You know, it's very open. And so I find that the children just produce some fantastic things. They have different coloured paper on the shelving and different whether it's different sizes. And we were noticing and observing they were creating maps. They have the sudden fascination for maps. So that's where I've just plonked a non-fiction book about maps. And uh, we actually put a metro map in there as well. So different stimulus based on what we've seen them doing. Um, but I could quickly show you, we have a, uh, a washing line with the children come up and they just plonk their work up here. Yeah, love that. I love the way that you're getting your children to display their own work and really value it. You know, both in the, you know, when it was, when we were looking at the loose parts and the small world, you know, they'd created their own story setting and then made a label for it. And then here you've got children displaying their own writing and mark making. You know, there's that real value attached to it, isn't there? That's a real signal that actually what you're doing here is valued, that we're wanting you to display it. You know, create an exhibition of it. It's, it's quite powerful because then yeah. you, you think using that space, I think historically we put up maybe, you know, all perfectly backed and bordered, you know, work. And yeah. actually when at their level, they can, they love using pegs on the washing line, you know, yeah. and they're really proud to show each other what they've been working on. And I'd say another, another um, aspect to that that we've talked as a team about is the voice of the child and how we document that. So it's not about marking the work, but it's just representing their ideas alongside their wonderful marks so one amazing example we saw this amazing little girl that we have here and you're just like wow what is going on there so much imagination and I'll I'll read to you the scribing so the driver presses the button for the door to open and it's a machine that carries people everywhere wherever they want to go and this is the key lock and the door, but you have to find the right lock. So, wow. yeah, so yeah, it's fabulous. Fantastic imagination and language mm. as well. Yeah, yes. Wonderful. And it, it gives an opportunity, I think, for the adults to model the writing. to yes. A bit like the helicopter stories idea where you can yeah. sort of, oh, let me write your amazing story. Tell me again what to write. And they love watching that co-learning between the adult and the... Yeah, themselves. Definitely. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that that there is a real risk at the moment that there is a bit of a pendulum effect of going from lots of recording, of loads of photographs, loads of recording, lots of note-taking and learning journals, to then doing the opposite because people feel, well, we don't have to do it now, and doing none of that. When actually I think there is a happy middle ground that I think really you're in that middle ground where actually you're, you're, you're making sure that any recording that does take place, that there is a clear reason for it yeah. and that, that, that we know how it's going to be used. So children's work yeah. is going to be more valued and shared more widely because 
actually we are making a note of what the child says. The child's voice is celebrated as part of your setting. And there's a middle ground there really where actually not all recording, not all adult recording is, is needs to go. It's more a case of I think we've got to own it. We've got to really make sure we know why we're doing it and make it part of the practice. Absolutely. It's, it's using effectively your time that will make a, a difference to the child. I find as well we have project books so they'll say, oh, I want to put it in my project book. So they'll go find their project book and stick it in, you know, with an adult. Um, but and it's that value, you know, of, wow, this is my learning journey and my story and my, you know, my wonderful ideas. And I, I have found that the parents have almost understood the expectation as well and the, the level at which their children are so capable of that's not just a, oh, is it a train or, you know, but wow, this is a machine and what can it do? And the, the language opportunity actually it brings to, to enrich language is, is a very natural way. Right, so now we're walking a little bit further into the explorers. And the explorers room is very much a sensory space. So what you'll see, you'll see uh, the water tray there with a Olixson shelving just behind. Um, and then wet sand. Uh, with the with again uh, shelving and actually mirrors on the wall too. What what we learned very quickly is that the you know, water and, and sand have very similar properties. So we straight away thought right, we've got to make sure that the sand is wet because it gives a very different sort of scientific inquiry. It lends itself to exploring in a different way. Um, so. It, we have to be really, we have to ensure, although we have a huge space here, that we're very clear on our intentions for, for these spaces. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We ought to as well we ought to as well say, or I should say, I haven't told Esther to say an early excellent shelf every time she yeah. mentions a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I feel so lucky that we've got them. Like, we just we've had to wait a few years for this. <laughs> you don't have to plug our shelving every time. It's fine. <laughs> I love them though, because what I love about it, and I'm not saying that honestly, Auntie did not tell me to say this, so <laughs> but it makes the um, sources very visible to the the child. So, for example, with sand, with We've, we've tried to organise whether there's metal tools and wooden of different properties. So we have a whisk, we have a large spoon, a scoop spoon. Uh, you know, very different sort of uh, validity behind some of the resources. So we've, we have to keep checking and refreshing and also thinking, oh no, we have, we've been donating loads of kitchen roll tubes. Okay, do we need all of those? Uh, or what, what's the purpose? What's the intention behind it? Uh, we love watching our children in the space because they're very much selecting what, what they need. Uh, we find the water with lots of tubing and old bits of plumbing pipes can bring lots of uh, you know, understanding of the world and thinking about how things work, critical thinking. But equally, language uh, with the sea life animals, the boats, the shells. So again, actually working here, we have many children from amazing all over the world. So language is really key for us in our setting. We have to ensure that our whole space, our whole provision is language rich. 
um, and the water really does lend itself to that. Yes, it's an experience that every child has some experience of, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, it's something that every child has some experience of. You know, whether, you know, they might not have had a trip to the seaside or they might not have been to a, a lake or whatever it might be, but every child ha will have seen and used running water at some point and have something that they connect those experiences to. You know, that they, they make those links and connections and they can talk about different things. And it's it's also ex an experience that they, they that is quite soothing and... Um, calming i think you know that idea of playing within water is something that i think we don't think enough about how actually quite often children find that really relaxing mm. you know that sort yes. of thing you know that you know for new starters who might be a bit stressed then actually playing within a water area actually really does calm them down it provides yeah. that that sort of experience that i think is important that's an interesting observation that you say that I, the other space that I find provides that is our sort of sensory uh, tray, which is a large tough tray here. Um, so whether that's, I think last week we had shaving foam and conditioner, you know, also just scooping and, and they love the baking bags, you know, where you, you cut a hole at the bottom of it, you know, squirting out. And I, I absolutely observe it's the children that maybe the quiet ones, the ones that are settling in and that it's the sensory experience that, that's provided yes. there. Um, as I said earlier, over there in the, right, the mark making area, we realised that DT was a popular thing with our design and technology space. So we actually created another design technology area in this room too. And this is a bit more, yeah, and this is right next to the outdoor area door. What we found was when they're in the woodwork area outside, they then want to enhance it. So they just whip themselves in and they come and do a smaller project. So the large project's outside and it's linking some actual, yeah, here, which, which it's again that observation of, um, you know, we were observing that they were running in and, you know, across to the other room. So we just, okay, let's use one table and one old cupboard here and we'll add. So there's lots of half-finished projects that they will continue tomorrow. So that idea of they can come in straight away and come and finish off, you know, or, or add to, amend what they need to do. But that's all part of that idea of, of really when you when they're involved in doing something, when they're involved in a project, doing it to real depth, you know, not yeah. just kind of doing something, then that's it, but thinking, well, actually, I, can, I might bring this from this area to this area and add some detail onto it. And that yes. doesn't just happen, you know, like we said before, that's that's about modelling, supporting, yes. it's about expectations and questioning. It's about, you know, that, that coming back to it and talking about it and really valuing it, really. Definitely. And we are so privileged in early years to have that opportunity because yes. continuous provision is just powerful where the child can come in, select what they need, and it's not a, oh, we finished this lesson now, this hour of, you know, science. And the reason why I say that, actually, Andy, is recently I've been working with the uh, older children, so it's scarily for me, which I've got just about used to, um, in my other role, which is innovation leader for primary. And we've been experimenting with playful ideas beyond early years. So we've been experimenting with the idea of use, uh, delivering a science lesson outside for year six. Uh, through loose parts play, through all sorts of different experiences. And we've been trialling this for two years. And recently on Friday, we had a visit to Becky Colst Colston, and she is fab, playful press play community. Uh, she, if anyone's interested, look it up. 
And she interviewed our year sixes about their understanding of play and their experience. And what has come out strongly is that idea of student agency and time. So having freedom to choose your resources, to learn and actually make, make mistakes. They found, oh, you know, the feedback from our year six students was, oh, we make more mistakes in this way. But it gives us, we have more time to work on it. And uh, also the idea of, uh, self-selection with things that interest them so it made me really feel you know wow our earliest children have really got a fantastic opportunity to learn uh, in, in an environment where they can select choose amend uh, with careful facilitation from from the role of the adults yeah. And that returning to things is so important for young children isn't it you know that 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 from their point of view they they need to be able to put something down to display it at the end of a day and then know that actually it will still be there tomorrow and might come back to it and pick it up and carry on with it. Mm-hmm. And that you get yeah. a greater depth of thinking around that because you've, ha- you've given children the space and the opportunity to return to things, which doesn't always happen. You know, the way that we organise our spaces may mean that that can't happen or the way that we organise our resources may mean that that can't happen. You know, in, in settings that change around resources all of the time or have lots and lots of enhancements that keep swapping and changing, it becomes less... I think likely, I think, that children will be able to return to things that interest them because things change around them too much. Yeah, and it's, like you say, it's, it's the careful enhancement, but the yeah. majority must be, it's that continuity that they need. Um, so I'm just, I've just entered now, just next to the water tray here, is our inquiry space. So we have many photographs of them in our forest sessions. So every Thursday, we're very lucky we get to learn outdoors uh, in the forest. So a proper forest session. And often what we've noticed is they want to bring things back from our forest. We have a beautiful forest, as Andy knows, right next to our school. So it doesn't matter the weather, apart from the wind, we get out there, overalls on and we're out. Um, So it's linking and extending inquiries from those sessions we find uh, this space gives. So for example, in here, you'll find magnifying glasses, all sorts of different shells, um, very mirrors, uh, some special stones, rocks. And I've noticed lately that they like to come and contribute from home too. Uh, So it's it's quite a powerful space for lots of that understanding of the world and language again and inquiry, uh, finding things out and observing. Uh, And actually recently we did a, a planting project as well. So they they love being in charge and, you know, checking up on them. I found, again, I've added paper and clipboards. And recently we had a child that brought lots of wheat in and lots of different, yeah, they just, and they actually said, yeah. I need to bring this to the, you know, the science area. That I just love it. My heart melts when they say that. Um, actually, another thing I must show you in, in our outdoor session, well, free flow outside every day, they found this poor little beetle that's not alive anymore. So, yeah, yeah. And they, they know that they can come here and put it in a special pot with a magnifying glass. And I think that's also extremely important that they have ownership. Of course, the, yeah, role, yeah, the role of the adult in facilitating that, and they've, it's lent, lent itself to some beautiful observational sort of drawings. Um, yeah. And they were, they were a bit sat for the beetle. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I ought to explain, yeah, so that was a, a, a dead beetle that one of the children had found. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, the. So, and but I, I love that that kind of really giving value to some to to those simple collections of things that the children will value. You know that they will remember that day when they found the dead beetle outside in a way that um, that tells a story, doesn't it? Right, so where are we heading to now, then, Esther? So now, Andy, we're going to head to the construction area. Um, and actually, on reflection, as we spoke earlier, we're reflecting all the time. We realise that the children absolutely love this space. So originally, it was a little bit smaller. But as you can see, it's a really large space, lots of floor space with the cupboard sort of creating that, that corner, that cosy, defined area. Um, and as you can see, we have a wide range of things that the children have been from the beginning of September you know trained how to use otherwise it would be a lot of mess everywhere and we use actually uh, I remember Ruth Swale saying choose it use it put it back so there is that idea of you know trial maybe you need this size block and then oh it doesn't work for your construction project put it back um, and as you can see we uh, we use shadowing everywhere for our wooden blocks and we found this such a powerful way to stimulate mathematical thinking spatial reasoning and uh selecting purposefully as well with the, with yeah. the blocks so it means that when the children have have put when they've when they've had a block off the shelf there's a template on the shelf so that they can put the blocks back and they have to match the shape to the shape or match the 3d shape to the 2d shape Exactly. Um, or two triangular shapes that make a rectangular shape, that kind of idea. Yes. And it's fab for tidying up time as well. So it also brings another learning opportunity in the in the tidying up. Um, but most importantly, I think it, it for us, we've seen an impact in the way that the children are more purposeful because they can see the size or the shape and test it out in a in a maybe a higher level of, of learning. Um, so oh yes, the one thing I would say as well that they absolutely love this year is a range of sort of stimulus to provoke measurement so you'll see there's a proper tape measure a spirit level and also string of different sizes and what's what I find fascinating from September they're sort of really interested in oh how does it work and then suddenly they start using it in a really purposeful way, whether it's using the string to see how long their building needs to be or, or measurements. I found that actually that, that aspect of measurement um, really is, is, is a powerful way in the, in the, in the construction space. Um, and as you can see, adjacent to the construction area, we have a huge wall. So we're very lucky to have this floor to ceiling wall. And the children have put up by themselves their designs, as you can see. So yeah, I love your displays. The the way that your children display their own work, I think, is is incredible. You know that real value for their work is brilliant. You know the way that you celebrate it and they've got ownership of it. I think that's fantastic. It's it's a really wonderful way for them to talk about what they've done as well. It brings a lot of language into it, language opportunity, and and we've you know we've noticed uh, one or two of them taking each other to to point at their photograph of you know the documentation of their designs. Um, we have got a, a few loose parts in here, as you can see. There's cogs, different gems. We're a fan of collecting. Um, sort of reels from wool and my daughter loves sewing so she's a, a great one to sort of grab lots of uh, different plastic sort of reuse lots of uh, coils and reels and and actually um as you can see we have some tires uh and uh they just really enjoy but they're smaller because it's inside and they enjoy extending or elaborating on their their construction 
what what I've recently enjoyed is the way that they're taking more risks in their their construction at this end of the year. Um, and they will ask me, Esther, I need a chair. Why do you need a chair? Because I can't reach. So, um, and they'll get a chair and they're now building really high constructions. And it's just fabulous to see that development of linear uh, work yeah. to now, yeah, vertical. Um, oh, and actually, Andy, can you see the building work here? Yeah. And it's got the, the not only the mini me's but we what we decided to do was ask for photos of families and we put them on the lolly sticks and uh they use these in their construction as well so it's because we noticed that a lot of them like to build related to their experience so maybe home or of my family or we went to a place so we extended the idea of a photograph of their family and we've put them into the building work. And that's that's actually been such a wonderful, rich opportunity to talk about themselves through construction. I love what you were saying as well about the 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 progression of ideas where the where what you see in September is is the starting point of them being interested in let's say measurement. And that actually over time through your conversations, your discussions, and maybe the additions that you've that you've made to the environment that that has really taken off and you you then see real growing complexity in something that they were interested in and that you've supported that, you've kept that going and worked around sort of of thinking carefully about how you enhance things meaningfully, how you show them something new, how you share something in a book or how you use new vocabulary. It's that kind of adult role alongside the environment, isn't it, that I think is so crucial. It's a powerful way as well, as we always say, in, you know, early is it's it's that holistic learning. So um, remember earlier I was saying about the tunnels and the tunneling fascination. So yeah. as you can see, see here, we've got some uh, tunnel nonfiction books and some sort of pictures of different tunnels around the world. And that's provoked further sort of link learning from their mark making workshop area into, um, yeah, it's, it's quite a powerful way to sort of use that stimulus in the construction space too. Um, so, yeah, and that's, that's actually... And and something that reception, just thinking about the step up, we've we've thought about continuity um, and progression in our, our foundation stage here at BSB. So yeah. now in reception, they've, of course, got the arrays and the shadowing as well. And we've thought very carefully about, oh, what, what mathematical opportunities can we extend further through the shadowing? So they might have deliberate arrays with with three, you know, rows of three or um the Numicon might be placed sort of with alongside the arrangements. So we've certainly had many discussions, ongoing discussions about how we ensure the progression carries on. Um, and we're trialing uh, year one and year two to have continuous provision, which is very exciting, and elements of continuous provision in year three. Uh, so as part of my other role in school, which is innovation leader. So it's been yeah. interesting trialing further ideas of continuous provision. Yeah. I was going to say that clearly the success that you've had here within your early years spaces within the school has obviously got pe other people within school thinking. You know, you were talking about how you, you, you got that role as innovation leader and you were working with your the year sixers, um, I think it was, was that right? Year six? Yes, yeah, that's yeah. it, all the way up actually throughout. And and that idea of working with older children, but maybe in a different way, you know, that idea of challenging some, perhaps your colleagues thinking in terms of the physical ways that young children can develop concepts and have ideas and problem solve and have those, that, that language development as well, 
but at a, at a different point in their development, you know, later on, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, we, we've really, it's been a very interesting uh, time, but that's, I'm sure, another podcast there, Andy, lots of detail, but extremely privileged to trial this as a, as a, a project, almost like a research project. Um, what, what are the gaps potentially for our older children? Does creativity get lost? And we've been reading lots yeah. of different literature from Bill Lucas looking at creative assessment to... Um, Julie Fisher interacting, interfering and how potentially this could be applied all the way up. And we found out that, yes, it can. And we've had some really brave teachers across upper primary that have been so willing and inspirational, in my opinion, to take risks and explore, take some brave leadership risks and explore this idea of maybe less of the teacher direction, adult direction and more autonomy, more student agency. Um, so it's been, yeah, it's really empowered, I would say. Our children, our year sixes, have said how much they've enjoyed learning through play. And they've come out with some really interesting um, conclusions in a recent interview with them. They said one thing that really stood out to me was, I feel that when I'm learning in a playful way where I don't have to follow a set of instructions, I make more mistakes and it means I learn better. And then I have a longer time trying to solve it. That's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, I think I think lots of schools at the moment are really thinking about what happens next for young children, you know, particularly from reception into year one. But then also for some schools thinking beyond that as well about uh, about the curriculum and about pedagogy and actually what does effective learning look like? I think, you know, since COVID, we, we have to rise up to that that idea of this global debate, educational debate, yeah. you know, how to prepare our children. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place to be in where early years is the foundation and let's build upwards um, and let's see yeah. which, you know, what could work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Esther, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for taking us on a tour of your inspirational learning environments. They're fantastic. Uh, I'm sure people listening will find it really interesting, really useful. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been my pleasure, Andy. Thanks very much for inviting me. So there you go. Thank you so much to Esther for joining us on the podcast and for giving us a tour of your inspirational learning environments. So many wonderfully creative and child-centered elements to the practice that have clearly been embedded over time. Uh, you know, it's been fantastic. I think as somebody who was there right at the very start of the journey to see how all of that has been developed and embedded as part of your practice, I think it's wonderful, wonderful to see. Um, if you want to, to know more, more about Esther and her team's fantastic work. Esther is on Twitter and shares really inspirational things on Twitter. You'll find her on Twitter at Esther O'Connor 5. Um, she's definitely worth following and seeing all the work that she's doing there. Um, thank you also to all of you people out there for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and found it useful, then please do get in touch. Get in touch if you've got any questions or anything you'd like to feed back to us. Also, feel free to like and subscribe it as well and share away on social media as well. All right. So that's about it. That's about it for this week. Have a good week, everybody, when you can get out there and enjoy the sunshine. And we will see you next week. <laughs>